everybody, if you're outside, I want you to come in. Ushers, make sure everybody's in unless uh, they absolutely have to be outside. I want everybody in. I don't want anybody going out during uh, the message and now as we come to a close. And uh, I understand if it's an emergency, I'm not being uh, unreasonable in that. I just want you to uh, stay here. And if you feel uncomfortable or what have you, just sit right there. You'll be fine and be mindful of those that are around you. If you have a cell phone, now uh, put it away. Make sure it's put away. Don't put it beside you. Don't hide it between you. Uh, I don't want the devil to have an opportunity to grab your attention away uh, from the uh, final message this morning. Uh, I, I would like to ask a favor if I could, and I, I know everybody can't do this. Uh, is Brother Joe Pickens in here yet? Uh, uh, Joe, I just want you to listen to this announcement. You don't have to come up here. I, I would like to get a picture uh, with uh, some of the groups that are here. If you would come up after the service today, we'll have our picture made here in the choir. If I could have my picture made with you. And, Joe, if you'll be ready to take care of that uh, for me right after uh, the message uh, this morning or right after the service. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Second Timothy chapter 4. Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. And I say one last time, thank you so much for attending this year's National Young Fundamentalist Conference. I am very encouraged by uh, not just the crowd that has come, though I'm, I'm, uh, I'm thankful for that, uh, the quality, the attention, uh, how you participated in the singing and the Bible quiz and how you've listened to the preaching. I, I, I didn't preach a youth sermon last night. Uh, I, I'll be honest with you, when I, when I went to uh, conferences, I didn't like kids' sermons. I, I, you know, I, I like a story uh, now and again, but I don't like to try to find a place to put a verse in the middle of a story. I like to find a place to put a little story in the midst of a, uh, as an illustration for the Word of God. We need Bible preaching, and uh, I was impressed by you giving me your attention as good as you did last night and through all of the preaching as I've watched, and I appreciate that uh, very much. Stand with me, if you will. I want you to notice as we read six verses from 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Bible says, this is the veteran preacher saying to the young preacher Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Paul says to Timothy these words, preach the word, be instant in season and uh, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, 
I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Mark your place there as we'll come back to Second Timothy again in just a few minutes. Heavenly Father, I pray that the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit would be with us as we come now to this closing session and message of this conference. <clears throat> I pray that you would seal what has been accomplished. Lord, I know according to the Scripture the work of the devil is to take the seed uh, from our minds and hearts before it can germinate and bring forth life because that's what the Word, that's what the seed does. And I pray that this message would help to seal uh, what we've heard so that it cannot be easily uh, plucked away or taken away, but that it would bring forth life uh, and it would bring forth the will of God in our lives. Bless, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Since my teen years, as I began to really understand and apply Bible preaching to my own life, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 2 Timothy chapter 4 have always concerned me. Uh, to be honest with you, they bothered me a little bit uh, as we would read about the last days. You know, it's a bad thing to get in on the end of something good. You get there just as it is over. Uh, I remember having uh, tickets to a University of Kentucky basketball game, and uh, a friend and I, we had very good seats, about three or four rows up, and we were going to enjoy uh, the basketball game, and I got an emergency call, and I said, I absolutely have to take care of this before we can go. Uh, there was one problem after another, and we got there in the close of the game. How disappointed I was because uh, it was a great game, and I got there at the end of it. That's a bad thing. Uh, you think something is supposed to start at a certain time, and you get there, and you find out you're there at the end, and it's just about over. It's a bad thing to get in line for pizza to see the last piece be taken by Brother Whitehouse just ahead of you, and uh, uh, or the last pizza being taken by Brother Whitehouse just ahead of you. Or the last stack of pizzas being taken. Anyway, uh, and you get there just when it's uh, too late. Uh, for, uh, uh, for many years, uh, this uh, passage of Scripture, these chapters, uh, they, they really bothered me because I felt like I got here just at the end of a good thing. As a boy, I honestly would sit there and listen to the old-timers preach, and I, I, I don't mean that disrespectfully, and, uh, but, but to listen to the men of God preach. And uh, I, I sort of felt like, boy, this thing is going to come to a close. And, and I, I really didn't even want the rapture to take place until I'd had an opportunity. I wanted to give my life to God. Uh, you know, uh, don't you feel sorry for the fellows that sit on the bench all year long and uh, they make it to the tournament, but they're getting beat 30 points, and there's four seconds to go in the game. And he points down to the end of the bench, the coach does, and uh, he says, uh, all right, you're in. I mean, who wants to play the last four seconds of a game, and uh, you're down 30 points? And, uh, I mean, there is no such thing as a 31-point play uh, in a basketball game. That, that's how I felt as I would hear these verses read. Notice, if you will, 
world in 2 Timothy chapter 3 where the Bible says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Uh, talking about things like abortion and things uh, uh, such as homosexuality and all of those that as a boy... I couldn't even imagine. I cared more for chickens and pigs. Uh, when I was a boy, I cried when a puppy dog died or a little pig uh, died in a litter, and that bothered me. I couldn't imagine what it would be like uh, to take the life of an unborn child. I, just, I couldn't imagine that. And, I, and, and as I uh, live life and I've heard this passage preached, I thought, boy, we're in the last days. I mean, there's ten seconds to go in the last quarter. And uh, and right on through uh, verse number four, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of God, or lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power uh, thereof. I, um, I, I would sit there and I would fear... Uh, the day I thought, Lord, uh, I knew some of uh, the history of England and the great churches and, and all of that. In fact, yesterday I, I received an email invitation uh, to preach in a conference in England that will be held in the uh, Spurgeon Tabernacle. And they're saying, uh, and then the email said, I've been listening to your sermons and following you online and uh, your desire for revival and fervor for revival. We'd like for you to come and be the keynote speaker in this once great church here uh, in England. And I, I you know, uh, I know that one day that America, uh, 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 in the direction that it's in, is going to be where England is today. Once when there were churches like this field, uh, they'll be empty and they'll try to come up with some kind of a entertainment or amusement just to get the buildings full again. And I would hear these passages preached, and, and, and they, they always bothered me because I didn't want to play the last four seconds of the last quarter. A year or so ago, I was listening to a preacher, an independent, fundamental Baptist preacher. I respect him. He's a good man, a good preacher, a good pastor. And yet, in his preaching, it was obvious that he had come to the place that these last days have arrived. And I sat there in the auditorium thinking like I was at a ball game and I'm watching the score and I'm watching the clock and it's ticking down to a few seconds left and it sort of made me feel like uh, there was no use or it sort of made me feel like, uh, well, what's the use of trying? Just go out and uh, do the best you can and wait for the Lord to come. I took out a three-by-five card while he was preaching and I wrote down this question. Who or what decides or determines when the last days arrive or have arrived? I wrote that down. What or who decides or determines when those last days arrive or have arrived? I carried that question and I would take it out and I would ponder that question. What decides? Uh, is it something that will just happen like the erosion happens to an ocean beach or a rock wall or a cement wall? Uh, is it something that a life that just comes and goes? And, and, and the big question I pondered is, does man have anything to do with this? Do I have anything to do with it? 
Is there anything, I, I mean, is this just a part of fate? I mean, do I get to go in and play the last four seconds? I mean, you know, you don't even have time to commit a foul. You know what I mean? I've I, I, I played in those games, little fella, and get put in the game. I at least went on the book. I want to go punch somebody or push somebody, at least so they can say, Jeff Fugit, number 20, played, and he committed a foul in three seconds. But I, I, I carried that question, what or who decides when these days arrive or have arrived? Or is there anything I can do about it? And I began to read again and again, over and over, Second Timothy chapter 4. I came to a conclusion. And I want to share with you what my conclusion was. Paul the veteran preacher is doing the writing here. He is at the very close of his ministry because he says, the time of my departure is at hand. I am, I'm, I'm ready to be offered, he says. Paul has won many souls to Christ. He has started many churches. He has seen cities changed. He has seen an increase in faith. He's gone to towns where they said, you can't build a church there. It's too hard. And yet after years of labor and work to see a church started and then to write letters back and to visit back and to see those churches prosperous, the veteran man writes to the young man, Timothy, and he says, the time will come. The time will come. But Timothy, I want you to preach the word. Here's what I think he's saying. It seems to me that Paul is saying to young Timothy, Timothy, here's what eventually is going to happen. Don't let it happen in your generation. Timothy, here's what will happen, but don't you... Let happen, these things happen in your generation. In fact, when you look at all of the, the letter of Second Timothy, he is constantly charging him. He never pets or strokes him and says, Well, Timothy, you got to play the last four seconds of the last quarter. He never said, Timothy, you got here when the game is over. Timothy, you're the last in line. There's nothing left for you. But throughout these letters, Paul makes statements such as he did in Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses... The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. He didn't say, Timothy, there's no hope for your generation. He said, you preach in your generation. He didn't say, Timothy, you might as well give up. The game is over. He said, I want you to get in there and fight for your generation. Then, as my mind began to go through the challenges and the charges for revival in this Bible, I kept finding words like in Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse number 14, If my people... 
Now, wait a minute. That's not God saying, hey, the game's over. The time's up. Uh, You got here too late. No, that's God saying, if my people will turn from their sin, if my people will humble themselves, if my people will pray, he said, then I'll hear from heaven and I will heal the land. I go right on through the Bible and where he says in Isaiah chapter 1, Come now and let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. And he goes right on through. And I keep finding the fact that it's not just a matter of God saying it's over. It's a matter of God saying, how long do you want me? How long do you want me to do a work? How long do you want me to save your nation? You see, every nation needs a generation. Every generation needs a group of young preachers that will say, I want my crowd to have what the last crowd had. I want my children to have what the children had of the past generation. And God said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I've decided I won't let these verses discourage me. I'll let them challenge me to say, you give your generation what Paul gave the last generation. For example... First of all, I want to say, as long as I'm alive and able to preach, sound doctrine will not die out in my day. I've decided I'm going to teach my generation and my children the doctrine of that old blessed book right there. Now, Paul taught it to his, and he said, Timothy, I want you to preach the word. I want you to be instant in season and out of season. The time will come, Timothy, but I want you to continue thou in the things of which you have heard. I want you to keep preaching what you've been uh, preached to. I want you to keep teaching what you have learned. And I've decided that sound doctrine will not die out in my day. For example, I believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Let them write all the modern versions they want, trot out all of the doctor this and doctor that and all of this that you want and say we've studied this and that and believe that there's a mistake. God never made a mistake in his book. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin and conceived of the Holy Spirit of God. And you hear somebody tell you different, you can say, you're a liar. You're an imposter. You're not telling the truth. You're asking me to believe some professor uh, over the Word of God. I'll not do it. I don't care where you came from or what your degrees are. Sound doctrine is not going to die out in my generation. I believe Jesus was more than a man. I believe he was more than a good man. I believe he was more than a prophet. I believe Jesus Christ was God himself. I believe he was sinless. I believe he was spotless. I believe he was without sin. I believe Jesus walked among men. But dear friend, not one time. And I want you to understand the crowd that followed them, that followed Jesus, trying to find the mistake. I wouldn't want them following me. They knew the book. The crowd, those scribes and lawyers and Pharisees, they knew the law. And they followed Jesus just to see if he would say one word against the law. They followed Jesus just to see if he would do one act that was against the law. 
But can I tell you, friend, when it came even to the time of the false accusations and the mockery of a trial, it was declared, I find no fault in him because Jesus was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And he's the Savior of the world. And young men, let me tell you something. God calls you to preach. I'm glad, and I'll cover this in a moment. There are things that you're supposed to preach against. But if you don't learn to preach Christ and lift him up and the doctrines of that old book, You have no right to preach anything else. Preach the doctrine of the Word of God. I believe in the vicarious death of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't believe that He passed out. I don't believe He went into a coma. I believe Jesus died. You know why I believe that? Because that's what the book said. You say, but I read in a book. I don't care what book you read it in. I read in the book that He died for my sin. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, they took His body and they placed it in the tomb. And and uh, But friend, the thing that separates my Savior from all others that claim to be a Savior or claim to be a Christ, after three days on that appointed day, up from the grave He arose. And dear friend, Jesus Christ lives forevermore. The Bible said He walked among men. You come to the book of Acts in chapter 1, and you'll find there the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the men just stood there gazing up into heaven. And I like the declaration that was made. Why stand you here gazing? This same Jesus that you've seen go up into heaven shall so come in like manner. And I believe just as sure he was born, just as sure as he lived a sinless life, just as sure as he went to Calvary, just as sure as he went to the tomb, just as sure as he arose, just as sure as he ascended, Hey, friend, he's coming again, and I'm going to meet him in the clouds. I'm telling you, fellas, learn to preach the doctrine of this old book. This is not going to die out in my generation. Now, you've got to make a decision today. You're going to let old time preaching die out in your generation? We need a generation of young men to say, I'm going to get on the old paths. I'm going to give my children and my grandchildren what the men of God gave me. Bible preaching will die out someday. But let's not let it die in our generation. I'm talking about old-fashioned, red-hot, foot-stomping, slobbering, spitting. I'm talking about voice-raising like a trumpet Bible preaching. If you've got something to say and you're a preacher, then bless God, get some preaching and sound it out like a trumpet. The Bible says in Ezekiel 6 and verse number 11, Thus saith the Lord, smite with a hand. Stamp with a foot and say, Alas, all the evil abominations of the house of Israel, for they shall fall by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. Isaiah 58 in verse number 1 said, Cry loud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Oh, listen to me. We need some preachers. Got some preaching them today. I'm not talking about apologizing for the book. I'm talking about preaching, uh, preaching the book. I'm not talking about backing up from the Bible. I'm talking about preaching the Bible. And let me tell you something today. I don't understand everything in the Bible. I'm still learning. I can't explain everything in the Bible. I'm still learning. There are some things I thought I could explain that I'm learning how to explain better. That's an amazing book. But because I don't understand it all, because I can't explain it all, doesn't mean that I don't believe it all. And I'm going to preach that book with every breath that God gives me to breathe. I'm going to preach that old Bible. God, give us a generation of preachers that will not be a bunch of mealy mouth fellows standing up apologizing, but preaching. 
preaching, preaching against sin. I'm talking about preaching against adultery and preaching against gambling and preaching against sodomy and preaching against rock music and preaching against immodest stress. And if you preach against it, then you're going to have to live right. You're going to preach holy living. You need to live a holy life. But we need preaching. We need preaching that uplifts Christ. I love that wonderful chapter of John chapter 3. I love the verse where it says, And if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. Let me tell you something, friend. Preaching is not about the preacher. Preaching is about the one that we proclaim that called us. And that's the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not about me. It's not about you. But it's about a wonderful Savior that can redeem a man from sin. Put his feet on a solid rock, establish his goings, and put a song in his mouth. My Jesus is the one that can do that. Timothy, the time will come. Now, Timothy, I fought a good fight. I finished the course and I kept the faith. Now, Timothy, I charge you. He didn't make a request. He gave him a charge. Young men, I charge you today, preach the word. We need a new generation on the old paths that will care for souls. That will work to win people to Christ. Don't let soul winning die out in our generation. Don't let it die out. We must care about souls. Could we decide today that we're going to get a burden for souls. I've never known a time since God began to deal with my heart as a teenager that I haven't carried a burden for souls. For you see, I watched a dad that had a burden for souls. And my dad, when he put your name down on his prayer list to be saved, there was two ways you could get off that prayer list. You could either get saved or die. But he was after you with the gospel, and he never let up. He never let up in witnessing. He never let up in praying. I don't know how many times I've walked into the auditorium, not on a church day, but just a weekday, and I've heard the cries, and I've gone to find my dad and quietly walked in that auditorium to see him laying on his face behind the pulpit, not only praying for the power of God, but begging God for the souls of mankind. I've seen men on his prayer list for three years and five years and ten years and fifteen years. And the truth is, when my dad died, I have the very last New Testament that he carried in his shirt pocket. And there was names of men that he was never able to win to Christ. Several of them, I had the privilege to finish the job and win them to Christ and baptize them in that baptistry right there. Oh, you listen to me. We need a generation of those that have a burden for souls again. I wonder, is everybody in your school saved? You know, everybody ought to know your testimony of salvation. In your Christian school, everybody ought to know when you got saved. Is everybody in your family saved? What about where you work? Those of you that work a part-time job, are those folks saved? You know how to establish and keep a good testimony? When you go on the job to work, carefully ask them, about their soul. Tell them about when you became a Christian and ask them, do you know Christ as your Savior? I preached in Richmond, Virginia, Monday and Tuesday of this week. 
Monday night, I was uh, after the service, I was walking back to my motel room, and uh, I had already, I got there a few hours before the service, and I drank the coffee that they had in my room, and so I, I asked uh, one of the workers there, could I get another package of coffee for my room? They said, well, we'll have it ready in the morning. I said, I don't want to come down here in my pajamas and messed up hair. I need coffee so I can comb my hair and put my clothes on, and so I, I, I want coffee first in the morning. I want uh, a good cup of coffee in my King James Bible, amen, and uh, that's what I want in the morning. And he said, I'll, I'll find you some. Now, you know what the Holy Spirit said to me? What do you think he said? Is that man saved? What does he say to you? What does he say to you when you have the opportunity to have a conversation with someone? Do you have a burden for souls? Do you hear me? I said, do you have a burden for souls? Are you soul conscious in your mind? Every person has a soul that will spend an eternity somewhere. Brother Johnny Esposito preached here just a few nights ago, and he is going to a closed communist country. In fact, he is with his family in California now for the last two or three days before he goes to that country. And we were talking about missions in my office, and I said, tell me about how God called you to this particular country. And he asked me this question. He said, uh, name a missionary in the Bible. You, you name a missionary for me. Who would you think of, Patrick? Missionary in the Bible, Paul. Paul. And that's what I said. He said, what country was Paul called to? He said, I was called to the Gentiles. What country? Wherever the Gentiles were. You know what Paul was saying? I want to win everybody I can to Christ. He was so conscious. A missionary is not the location you live. A missionary is those that has a burden for souls to be saved. Paul went everywhere preaching the gospel. They said, Paul, we're not going to let you preach anymore. We're going to put you in jail for preaching. Paul said, I'll win the jailer to Christ. And I'll win my fellow prisoner to Christ. They brought him out of jail and they brought him to trial. And they, and they sat him before the judge. And the judge said, is it true what you're accused of? And Paul began to give the man. Not only did he admit it. He witnessed to the judge. You know why Paul had a burden for souls? Timothy! The time will come. Don't let it happen in your generation. There'll come a generation that has no standard of separation from the world. You'll not be able to tell the difference in the saved and the unsaved by the way they look and dress or behave. Here's what I decided. I decided if those dress standards and music standards and ecclesiastical standards, if they were good for my dad, if they were good for that generation, and there's been no amendments to the Bible, that's the way they understood it. That's the way the generation before understood it. That's the way the generation before understood it. If it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Let, let me tell you just simply how I see standards. 
It doesn't matter to me. If God says I'm against brown socks, that's fine with me. I'll never wear brown socks again. It just doesn't matter to me. If God says, I want you to have short hair, I don't want you to look and say, well, I don't know if that's short or not. I, friend, I want to have short hair because the Bible says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. I mean, it just doesn't matter to me. And I'll go further than that. I don't want to ever be identified with the world. So if it's popular with the world, it's unpopular with me. I don't want you to think I'm with them. I said, I don't want you to think I'm with them. I want folks to know I'm with him. I'm not talking about being a Pharisee and a smart aleck. I'm just saying I'm proud to be on the team, friend. I'm just glad to be on the team. I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan. Quit laughing at me. What are you, a Cubs fan? That's the only place it gets worse. Thank goodness for the Cubs. They keep us out of the basement. They're like Michael Jackson. They both wear a glove on their left hand for no apparent reason. But anyway... I'm a Reds fan. I'm a Reds fan. I was excited when they brought King Griffey Jr. I remember when King Griffey Sr. played. And I remember when they brought King Griffey Jr. from the Mariners to Cincinnati. I like it. Man, if you're up five runs, he'll hit a home run every time. Bases loaded and you need a hit, he's got a hangnail and can't bat. But anyway, I was excited. But I remember one day there was a delay of game because the Reds, you know, they got black and red, black and red and white hats and uniforms and all. And Ken Griffey Jr. picks up a hat out of the dugout that is not exactly like the other eight players on the field. He just puts it on. I don't know if he put it on rebellion, forgot. It really doesn't matter. They stopped the game. They said to the manager, you got a player out of uniform. You know, it's a crying shame when the Cincinnati Reds or the, or, or, or the uh, New York Yankees have more standards. Tune in here. Turn, tune you down. Listen to me. It's a shame that the New York Yankees have more standards to play on their baseball team than the average youth group does in America today and being a child of God. You say, well, you sort of got to be like them to reach them. I don't want a doctor with the flu doctoring me. Did you hear what I said? I, 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 don't, I don't want the doctor with disease coming in saying, I, I, I know your pain. I, I'm, I'm as sick as you are. I can help you. I would say, get me a doctor that doesn't cough all over the patients and not sick. Give me a well doctor. Can I tell you something? All of that is a bunch of foolishness, and it's a cover-up for ignorance today. We need to get back to old-fashioned dress standards where young ladies dress like a lady, not like a provocative harlot. We need young men that dress like men and not like a bunch of sissies, and you're wondering which team you play on. We need a group of young men that walk like men and talk like men. We need to get some standards. 
standards in our music, friend, and uh, we're not satisfying or trying to please the flesh, but we're trying to honoring, glorify a God that's in heaven. And if God ain't satisfied with it, I'm not satisfied with it. We ought to get some standards in our vocabulary. We ought to learn to talk right and talk decent. Some of you got more substitute curse words than the world has curse words. What's wrong with amen? I've had waitresses say, How's the food? Amen, it's delicious. What'd you say? <laughs> praise the Lord. What's wrong with praise the Lord? What's wrong with that? I'm not going to let it die in my generation. I'll tell you something else I'm not going to let die in my generation. I'm not going to let the bus ministry die in my generation. And I want to tell you something. Those yellow buses out there, those are not a token of our ministry to say, I want buses so everybody will know I'm an independent Baptist. I want those buses out there because there are boys and girls and teenagers in this town. They're going to die and split hell wide open unless we go and we tell them of the love of Christ and the salvation of Christ. And I'm going to tell you some of the best servants of God that ever served, that ever preached, that ever worked. They came from a broken home. They came from a bus ministry and somebody loved them and cared for them. A man said to me uh, in uh, Ohio or Indiana a couple of years ago, he said, well, you can't build a church with those kind of people. I said, I agree. But the wonderful thing is when God saves them, God changes them. And you build a church with a changed man. I'm going to keep the bus ministry going. You say, is it expensive? It's no more expensive than it is to put fuel in the Walmart trucks. Costs the same to keep your RV going. There's a few things I've decided I'm not going to let die in my generation. Now, I'll tell you. Sometimes it's a little lonely when you look for one of your heroes and you realize they're gone to heaven. You see, I made a decision that I would associate with men a bit older and a bit wiser than I am. As a young preacher. And there's a lot of times I didn't like some of the things they said. I remember sitting down with a preacher and telling him a bunch of church problems one day and he listened for a few minutes and he took his finger and poked me in the chest, chest and he said, oh, that's your fault. I said, my fault? He said, it's your fault. Then he went through a list of things. He said, how many people you went into Christ? Tell me about your walk with God. I wanted to take him back to the airport and tell him to go back where he came from. But you know what I've learned? I've learned the older men had a little wisdom ahead of me. Now, these things are going to die out one day. One day America will be like that country of England that once was thriving with the gospel once had men that were willing to die a martyr's death for that book right there. Now the churches are empty, not just on a Sunday night and Wednesday night. They hardly have anybody on a Sunday morning. That's going to happen in America one day, but it's not going to happen in my generation. You have to make a decision if it's going to happen in yours. Stand with me, if you will. Not in my generation. As Paul said to Timothy, I want to say to the next generation, 
Don't let these things happen in your day. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. You've heard a lot of preaching this week, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, Thursday night, and this morning. God may have dealt with you on Wednesday night about what being a fundamentalist is. You didn't make a decision for God. Some of you may have been in a place and you let inconvenience keep you from coming to the altar or from making an altar or making a decision for God. Some of you need to decide this morning, not in my generation. It may happen in the next, but it won't happen in mine. Heavenly Father, give us a new generation that will say, I think I'll just travel the old paths. They're tried. They're proven. I know what they are. I know what happens. I know how they turn out. I'm going to travel the old paths. God has spoken to your heart.